0: I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, we're bringing you an interview I did with Noel Gallagher, who has a really strong new album out called Council Skies. Noel was, as always, in fine form, and maybe even more reflective than usual, talking about his new album, growing up as an artist, why he's convinced that his brother, Liam Gallagher, is not really serious about wanting to reform Oasis, and a lot more. Here's that conversation. I see you're already playing some of the new stuff. How's that going down the first two shows?
1: Oh, terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like I'm starting off with five new ones, which people should have bought the fucking album, then, shouldn't they? (laughs) So they're going to stand there with their mouths open, thinking, "What the fuck is this?" I should advise them to go to their preferred streaming service.
0: I'm really enjoying this album. Unlike your crowds, Mojo said it's your best post-Oasis work, and I might be inclined to agree. Do you agree, though?
1: I'd say song for song, yeah. I mean, there are great songs on the previous three albums. And the first one, yeah, yeah, they've all got their merits. But this, I guess this one, song for song is the best, I think, anyway.
0: A song called Easy Now. On this album that everyone has been focusing on, there's a bunch of great ones, but everyone keeps fixating on that one. People say it has an Oasis vibe. I also hear Pink Floyd in there. Real epic song, but something you said while talking about that song struck me, and it struck me that you might be falling into the same sort of mental trap that maybe Paul McCartney fell into after the Beatles, which is that after Oasis, you when you write something that feels like Oasis, you shy away from it. And I know that Paul said the same thing for years. If something sounded like the Beatles, he'd jump away from it. Do you think that's you're doing yourself a disservice by shying away from that?
1: Not really, because all the... I've only persevered with this song because it was so good. All the rest of them that I've shied away from have not been... As soon as I hit a chorus, I just go, nah, it doesn't... There's no point in me putting it out and then a load of people going, it just sounds like a shit oasis. I know know it does. However, when I was writing this song and I got to the chorus, I was like, ah, but fucking hell, actually, this one's pretty good. Yeah, but it's not... I wouldn't... during the period of writing this album, I wrote a lot of material, and there there is a lot of material coming down the line that's very heavily guitar based. So I guess people will say it's Oasis-y, but we're not there with it yet. But I only shy away from it if they're not if the songs don't stand up. Do you know what I mean? In this case of McCartney, if he's writing a song and it starts to sound like we can work it out, are you gonna fucking beat that anyway? how are you going to beat that so you've done it he's done it so i can i i understand where he's coming from when when that is the case and when you don't really you don't you can't really afford to think about what other people might think of it well you know what if you're writing it and then you think oh but other people might like it so i'll persevere <laughs> with it that's not what is i'm afraid
0: i guess the counter argument would be something like Band on the run Could be a Beatles
1: album, and it's one of people's favorite Paul albums. Paul McCartney is the sound of the Beatles, so if he's writing a song, it's going to have echoes of that. I guess as a songwriter, it'd be an instinctive thing. Instinct drew me to finish off easy now, and I was right. I seen it to the end, and it was right. And what I heard in my head when I was writing it, I got out of the speakers, and I was proved right. In the past, instinct has led me to to stop writing those kind of songs who will know if I was right or wrong. I'm in charge of this kind of thing, not everyone else.
0: This was an album that you wrote in lockdown during the pandemic. And you said the other thing that happened in the pandemic, you have had a marriage split up. There's a history of great divorce albums. Is this in some way one of those?
1: One or two songs. I wouldn't say the entire album is like that, but I wouldn't go as far as to describe it or pigeonhole it as that but certainly Dead to the World. I don't know where I've been And if you say so you think of a number. I was talking the of the wall Outside the Directly about that, yeah.
0: The song Council Skies, and I know the whole album isn't about growing up in council flats, but that song is... Yeah. Look back at that now, especially as someone who became
1: rich. It gave me a really strong work ethic and it gave me the sense that if I want anything doing or if I want anything out of life, I should go and get it for myself, not rely on other people. But it makes you who you are. I don't really take what I do for granted. Do you know what I mean? I could, anytime I get to the end of a, a cycle, I'm like, will I ever write another song? And I just keep going and for the fear of losing it. Well, I just think it was meant to be. I just think that's the story of my life. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I think that life and the day you were born is preordained, but I do believe that there's a path that you're, the way that you are as a person will set you upon a path and then you're presented with some life-changing choices along the way and you either make the right ones or the wrong ones. But I just think it was all, I think it was meant to be. I can't think anything other than that because I've never really tried to manipulate where I was going I just I write songs and I wh- wherever they take me is wherever I am
0: There are people for whom a dramatic change in circumstance like the one that you had when you were young becoming rich and famous when that was so far from your upbringing. For some people, it's almost like a trauma. It's so shock, It's such a shock to the system to find yourself in a different place. I don't get the sense that maybe it was like that for you. It feels like an unadorned triumph for you, but I could be wrong.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. The extreme version of the downside of fame would be Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Who was a lovely, happy-go-lucky, great songwriter. Fuck, you know, she was just great and cheeky and beautiful. And then she got famous. It killed her. I always took great comfort in knowing that I always had the work. And the work is what anchored me. I took more drugs than anybody else and all that kind of thing. And <laughs> I always had the I always had the work ethic and I always had the work to lean back on. I wasn't like a fucking bass player sitting around waiting for shit to happen and then <laughs> accidentally getting involved in fucking heroin while that while he was waiting for that to happen. So I always had work to do, and I just tried to combine living like a rock star with being a songwriter. And for the most part, I did all right. The song Pretty Boy, awesome song.
0: Beneath the starry sky distant- you joked about fans complaining that it starts with a drum machine. The guys from U2 once told me half-jokingly, or not jokingly at all, complaining about that their fans are not as groovy as sometimes they would want them to be that, that sometimes when they do and they've gotten way farther into dance oriented stuff than you have but you've really played around with that in recent years
1: i was saying to adam recently i was saying it's a good job there was no such thing as social media when you were making that album because you would have fucking found out exactly what your fans thought of it you mean pop no no act on baby act on baby because yeah. i guess you two fans and not unlike Oasis fans, they would like to rewrite The Joshua Tree Forevermore. And I would assume Oasis fans would yeah. like you to, like me to rewrite Definitely Maybe Forevermore. But you're not really stretching yourself as, a, as an artist then, but people have a set opinion of what you are and what you should do. And if you don't live up to that, then they get frustrated. That's what being an artist is, you know what I mean? You can't please everybody. So you might as well just please yourself and hope that your taste is somewhat connecting with other people. At the same time, it's it's not exactly Radiohead, is it? No, it's not like I'm fucking making French prog music, is it? (laughs) So it's just a drum machine. That's all it is. It's a drum machine and a weird video. Don't worry about it. Don't fucking don't cry. (laughs) Have you
0: done stuff in private that is much weirder and more experimental than we've ever heard?
1: I wouldn't say I've written anything I've been involved with producers who have turned it into that, yeah, when I worked with the amorphous androgynous when I was gonna that album that got scrapped that was too fucking weird. there was fucking sitars on everything, <laughs> and it didn't move me in any way whatsoever, so I scrapped it I'm quite limited as I'm actually quite limited as to what I do because i'm not a, I'm not a virtuoso musician so i can i can I do what I do and that's it and then if I have a sound in my head then I'll go for it but no i don't really go out of my way to write weird shit i don't that i'd be forcing it everything has to come naturally and it does it does feel like there are places on this
0: album where i noticed that you were branching out chord wise do you like to indulge in fancy chords a little bit more these days
1: i follow the melody and that's it i don't care about the chords i don't don't, chord progressions for shit songwriters (laughs) Are you talking about if sorry, if you were, if some guy was to walk up to me now with I'll check these chords out and I'd say well fucking sing something over the top of it because that's what people are going to remember. Who gives a shit about how fucking cool the chords are? <laughs> Strawberry Fields without the melody is just a load of fucking weird chords. Right? <laughs> I am the Walrus without the melody is just a load of fucking weird chords. I accept that weird chord progressions will probably maybe drag something out of you that wasn't there, but I don't go out of my way to uh, to <laughs> be overly cordy And as I'm saying it now, I will tell you that the Black Keys will probably tell you something different. I was having just worked with them and they were like, fucking hell, where are all these chords coming from? Like, Fuck. But I don't... I, I put everything into the melody because that's what's going to last. That's what's going to stand the test of time. I've just been co-writing with them for their next record. It was fucking great. I don't even... I don't really know them that well. I've met Patrick once or twice and then... They were in London, and then they were coming to London, and their management reached out to my manager because they know each other, and said, "Would you be up for maybe dropping by the studio and seeing if you could write something together for their new record?" So we did a week in the studio in London and wrote three songs, and I've got to tell you, they're fucking amazing. They're really great. Yeah, they call you the chord lord. It turns out. Yeah, they disagree they call, with you. Yeah. They disagree
0: with you on the chords.
1: Indeed. But it's not. They, if I am in weird chords it's something that comes instinctively to me and it's all to support the melody so i'm not i don't i haven't got like a dictaphone with a load of fucking minor chords on that don't make any sense that i'm just waiting to unleash on the world that's not what i'm about at all i had an obscure chord question for you which is on don't look back
0: in anger when you get to the line start a revolution from my bed you play an f minor chord You go to a minor chord in a place where there should be a major chord, which is a a Beatles trick, and it's a Beatles reference. Is that a coincidence, or is that an absolutely brilliant little game you're playing with us?
1: A guitar in. Let me see now. Which one are you talking (laughs) about? Don't look back at Edgar. That chord. Yeah. That one. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know what, I have no idea what that fucking chord is or why I did that day. I have No, I, do not ask me. And I've not used it in a single song since. I've never used that thing since. But yeah, it is a classical thing, I believe. People, I have met songwriters who freaked out about that chord. Honestly, I, I just glaze over. I'm just like, I have no idea what you're fucking talking about. Because I'm following the melody, you know what I mean? Whatever gets me there is whatever gets me there. And that's it.
0: it does remind me of another thing, which is, I don't know if you're aware that Wonderwall has become sort of the new stairway to heaven with guitar players, the old Wayne's World thing of the Forbidden Song, because there's even jokes on TikTok about young guitar players. If a guy picks up an acoustic guitar at a party and puts the capo on the second fret, you know you're in for it. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, bless him, Yeah. Yeah, it is literally the simplest fucking song that you can ever fucking wish to play on the guitar. It's gonna be the day that gonna throw it back to you.
0: By now, you should have somehow realized what you
1: got. Only, you only use two, there's only four fingers, and two of them you don't move at all. George Martin was did a documentary in the 90s about music and where these things came from. And somebody asked me to do this documentary. I was like, oh, great, George Martin, it'll be great. And he made me play Wonderwall in front of him and asked me to intellectually articulate what I was thinking. And honestly, it's the most embarrassed I've ever been as a fucking human being, because I was like, this guy. And I had to sit there and go, I just put my fingers there, and then I put them there. And he was going marvelous. Isn't it just marvelous? And, uh, and I was thinking, fucking it. Now this guy sat in a room with fucking John Lennon, when he was writing a day in the life and I'm completely a fucking chancer. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, but yeah, that song is just fucking crazy. Do you remember sitting somewhere and,
0: and first putting your fingers in those spots and writing this song? I tell you, I tell you what happened
1: is. I'd never heard of a capo, as you call it. I call it a capo, right? So I've never, I'd never, i never heard of a capo. It never dawned on me what one of these things were. And then my guitar tech at the time, he gave me one. And I was like, what the fuck's this? And he said, oh, you just stick it on the neck and you can play open chords anywhere. And honestly, that changed my life. Because then I was like, oh, fuck, fanning around with bar chords. And that's fucking... <laughs> and I don't... I think I started it... I started that song in Scotland somewhere, and then I finished it off in the studio when I got to do Morning Glory. Again, I don't, I have no real great recollection of writing it. I don't know why I played that day. I have no idea. But I know, as with all these things, it's like, as soon as I hit it, it sparked off a chain of events that ended up with me having a fucking billion streams of it.
0: (laughs) And I guess there was a deal of which song you would get to sing, and that was in contention.
1: Liam, at the time, I'd I'd, I'd got into the habit of walking off stage when things weren't going his way or he couldn't be fucking bothered to do the gig. And I would always have to finish the fucking gig because there would be a riot (laughs) if he didn't finish it. And of course, I couldn't sing at the time. And I thought, I would better start writing a few songs for me to sing in case this kind of thing carries on happening. And I got the sense that both those songs were going to be big. And I remember saying, I'm singing one or the other. He didn't like Wonderwall when he heard it. In fact, he fucking hated it, as did pretty much everything else until somebody from a record label came down and went, whoa, that's the fucking, that's the song that's going to make us all fucking rich and famous. And then he changed his mind and was like, I'll sing that one then. (laughs) And and yeah, and I sent Donna back in anger and yeah, purely for the simple reason that, Liam had started to walk off stage regularly, and it was becoming fucking annoying. So it was just to kind of, I guess, have one song that was yours. But I'm glad I chose that one. as I think Don't Look Back in Anger is a better song. You ended up creating the situation that reminds me
0: of The Who, where there were two singers in the band, and then you... Once the guitar player starts singing, you you do go wait. You could do the whole show yourself. It's just a dangerous, obviously, which leads us to
1: where we are today. No, I'm not. I don't. It was never like I, I'd have left pretty soon. I would have left pretty soon after that if that's what I thought. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Oasis oh, went on for another fucking fifteen years or something. <laughs> it's true. So, but I would do acoustic gigs. I didn't really have any designs of being a. I do like singing. Anyone that sings will tell you it's an enjoyable experience to sing. But to be in inverted commas a frontman. There's a whole nother fucking thing altogether that I still don't really quite understand, and I'm not really into it, but yeah, I just, yeah, if it did actually lead to this, then it fucking serves Liam Wright for being a fucking lazy cunt in the first place. One thing I realized listening
0: to this album that I'd never put together before, it's a super obvious point, but something about hearing these melodies in your voice, suddenly I said, geez, Coldplay was more influenced by Noel's writing than I ever realized. I always thought of them as Radiohead influenced in the beginning, but really they were Radiohead, half Radiohead, half your songwriting. Is that an influence you've ever noticed?
1: Chris has said that before, but then he says a lot of things. <laughs> he probably tell he probably tells fucking Adele that he's in, he's influenced by her as well. So I wouldn't. I'm not sure how much weight I'd put in that, but I have heard that before. Yeah, there was a whole generation who were influenced by Oasis some guys were influenced by the attitude of the band and the Liam thing and all that and they went to start bands and they they got the attitude and all the gear and the swagger and the fucking attitude and then they when they had to come up with the actual thing that makes it work which is the songs they didn't have that and then there was a whole bunch of guys who were into the songs do you know what I mean and they became Coldplay and Kasabian and fucking Arctic Monkeys and all that kind of thing you can't underestimate how influential a band oasis were not musically but in the sense that we kick started a kind of a lot of people's if they can do it we can do it it was a spirit kind of thing i think it's just so, to pick
0: up the fucking guitar that's what it
1: is just fucking have a go you know what i mean honest to god my thing was if i can write songs i've got the hands of a midget <laughs> right and i'm not the fucking best looking and i can't sing if i can do it any fucker can do it you've just got to have you've got to have star wars levels of self-belief <laughs> and and never fucking and never say die attitude the arctic monkeys
0: are probably of the slightly younger generation they're not so young anymore probably one of the leading examples of a band falling in your footsteps but their last two albums, they've mellowed out incredibly. They just can't quite get themselves back to a place where they want to rock. Alex has told me that himself. As much as he might try, it's just not what he wants to do anymore. What do you think
1: of that happening? I can relate to that. I'd love to write supersonic and definite and rock and roll star and all that kind of thing. I'd love to. But the key is, and the key with Alex will be, he's already done that. Mm. And I've already done that. And... If you get to a certain age and you're still trying to fucking write those kind of anthems that you wrote, you've become Kiss. (laughs) Right? And nobody fucking wants that. So it's like you can't keep doing that forever. I don't know of a single fucking band in my life whose fan base do not want them to sound like their first two albums. (laughs) U2 fans are the same. Coldplay fans are the same. Arctic Monkeys fan, everybody—that's what fans want, right? But the songwriters within those bands or the artists—you're on a, you're on a different path. That's just the way it is. It does feel
0: like you have mellowed. It happens. It's not a bad thing. It happens to everyone. It's happened to me and my own listening habits to an extent that I could have never imagined. Would you have liked Council Skies if you heard it when you were 28? and got to hear a preview this is you and
1: god jesus 28 years (laughs) would you have liked it do you think i would have probably found the track council skies a bit challenging but i would have loved open the door i would have probably loved love as a rich man But no, a lot of it I wouldn't have been into because I was in a different place. I was into fucking plugging a Les Paul into a Marshall and everybody standing the fuck back and seeing what came out. But yeah, but I don't know. Paul McCartney is the greatest living songwriter in the world. In the world, right? This is the guy that wrote Hell to Skelter and I saw her standing there. And you end up where you end up. And I'm sure if he wanted to write birthday rewrite birthday now and fucking saw us standing there and all those great rockers that he did he still wouldn't be able to do it because he's not the guy he's not a rocker anymore so do you feel like you're not a rocker anymore i'm not sure i ever was a rocker in the first place (laughs) i don't know i don't know 50 i'm 56 hang on a minute i'm 55 56 i'm 56 right let me be 56 yeah Please. (laughs) i'm not fucking 27 anymore i don't want to be 20 i was 27 once and i fucking changed people's lives you can't carry on doing it did it once twice even three times even (laughs) let me be 56 bob dylan's the fucking same bob dylan that guy changed the course of fucking history with those first three albums you don't do that anymore he's the same he'll tell you even if he wanted to write like a rolling stone now he couldn't do it because he's not that guy yeah yeah love is a rich man has
0: one of my favorite rock beats this is a classic beat that
1: people use and it always works i guess there's the stone roses and the sliner family stone thing and once the drums start you're in but it's okay we're fucking we're dancing in that song the drums came last so it wasn't it was that was just like a it didn't start with the with the vibe on the drums or anything it just started with it was a lot slower when it started and it gradually got faster and faster until it became what it is johnny Marr
0: came in and played on a bunch of songs including pretty boy and you said that he doesn't even like to hear the song first he just comes in and just starts playing
1: it's crazy yeah he'll arrive and we'll have one amp and a couple of guitars and some pedals and then he'll make a cup of tea or whatever it is and we're chatting about football and blah 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 and then he'll just say He'll strap on the guitar, and he'll say, and then the song starts, and he'll go, "Oh, fucking!" Hell. And while he's listening to the song, he's already figuring out what he's going to do. It's an amazing trip to watch him work. He's just—I uh, don't know—he's just got an innate. He's got—he's got a brilliant relationship with his guitar playing. He fucking not—he know, just knows. I wish I, he's the goat. He's the fucking greatest of all time. He's the greatest I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, he, he when he plays on my stuff. It's very understated and he knows he's not he's not showing off, you know what I mean? He's not a show off guitarist, he's just he's backing the song up and he's an amazing, dude. Have you ever met him? Have you ever interviewed him? Yeah, you? I
0: interviewed him. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. I asked him why the Smiths broke up. And all these years later, none of those guys could can answer that. <laughs> Weirdest thing on earth. Most bands at least you really know why they broke up.
1: And I remember asking Johnny, literally one of the first things I ever said to him was like, What happened there then? And the answer that I got was so complicated <laughs> that I actually forgotten what the question was in the first place. And I was like, I'm not even sure what he's fucking talking about now. I can't I'm not speaking for him, but at least they went out at their peak. Did you ever see them live? Oh fuck yeah. They're my favourite ever bands. They are. To me, they're up there with the Beatles, to me. They've got so many fucking great songs. Changed my life. I was not you don't you can't hear their influence in my music because Morrissey is one of the most literate people ever to write a song. Johnny is just a fucking wizard. So I, they never really influenced what I did, but I fucking, I adore that band. I'd loved them. They were my life for the five years they were together. That would have been from like when you were 15 to 20, I think. 1983 to 1987, yeah. And the thing is, they split up at the right time because if they'd have been, if they'd have gone on and tried, through acid house like they would have just become a parody and pe- people would have turned their back on them so they split up just at the right time
0: i mean you got to see them live i never did a bunch of people never did unfortunately andy Burke just died and now we know yeah. they can't get back together are people right to be sad about that or should they just understand that those five years were all we we're wow. ever going to get
1: it depends how old you are. If you're like 17 and you never got to see them, that wasn't your time. If you're my age, 55 and you never 56 and you never got to see them, that's on you. <laughs> Why didn't you fucking go and see them? They were always on the fucking road. They were never. They're fucking always on the road. And um, Yeah, I never got to see Nirvana. I had the chance to go and see them and never did. And I'll always regret it. And I never seen the Sex Pistols.
0: I mean, it's interesting that the extent to which you chronologically coexisted with Nirvana and grunge, it was a different world. Do you feel the '90s slipping into legend? Because I, I do. Kids talk about it. It's the same distance now, or even more than the '60s was from when you grew up, and it's yeah. now this like legendary golden age of the way people talk
1: about it. Yeah, but it's, it's for many. It was it was it was pre-internet. We all had freedom of thought and expression. We're all now somehow uh, oppressed by something or other, and there was it was a very eclectic time, and the ownership of music was king. People bought records, and they and festivals had great fucking lineup. I remember Oasis when we were doing our first ever European festival tour, and the bands we would always. We were always on the same bill: as Cypress Hill, <laughs> right, the fucking Wu Tang Clan, all fucking sixty-seven of them, and the Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. And it was just—it was—they were fucking great years. Yeah. And I think everything changed with the internet and the and YouTube and all that fucking shit. I just think I just think there is no magic left in the world anymore. In the sense that, yeah. in the sense that you if somebody says to you or would have said to you in 1994, have you had this band Oasis? You go, no. (laughs) They say, man, you got to fucking see them. And you go, right, well, give me a shout next time they're playing. So you'd go. Whereas now, and even if once you were in the gig, we had you because we were had these undeniably great songs and it was loud and it was fucking, it was a bit punk, but it was a bit beatly, And it was a bit, where are they from Manchester? Whereas now, if someone says to you, You had that band Oasis and you go, no, you take your phone out straight away and you put it in and there's some shitty video coming out of a fucking speaker, you know, the size of a fucking thumbnail and you go, nah, I'm not having that. I think the internet changed everything, but I agree. I felt the 90s was great at the time. I genuinely felt it was a fucking golden era at the time. Your life has been like
0: rock and roll fantasy camp at points. You've played with The Who. You've recorded with Johnny Marr. You've played How Soon Is Now live with Johnny Marr. You've played with Paul Weller and become friends with him. You've jammed in private with Paul McCartney. Is there anything
1: that you, on the rock and roll sort of wish list that you haven't done? There's two things. I would love to meet Roger Waters and just tell him what his songs mean to me. And then... I would love to just—I would love to meet Bob Dylan, who recently said that he really liked Oasis, and I'd love to meet him and say, "Really, really? Are you being fucking serious?" And uh, but yeah, I've—but what I've learned from meeting all those guys and playing with all those guys is like they're just ordinary guys with extraordinary gifts. Do you know what I mean? They've got McCartney's just—he's the biggest Beatles fan you'll ever fucking come across in your life he's just an extraordinarily gifted guy but he's just a guy he's just a guy and neil young was just a guy and i'm in awe of neil young but he's just a fucking guy he's, a, he's an odd guy but he's a fucking just a dude johnny mars just he's from the same place i'm from and he and it, and yeah they're all just normal are they normal i don't know they're all ordinary guys with extraordinary gifts. Like when you're growing up, you think these people are from another planet or could never be like that or blah, fucking know. But I say they're the same as you. They're the same as you and I. They really are. But you and them, sometimes some kind of
0: magic comes through you. You do something impossible and write songs that, you know, will never
1: die. Yeah, but that's, I wish it was by design. And I wish I could say I could just turn that shit on and off. But um, you just have to be, you have to practice it every day. And catch it when it falls out of the sky like we were going just going back to the point we made before about fans wanting to, for you to rewrite definitely maybe i'd love to do that i'd fucking lo- i'd give my fucking i'd give one of my children to rewrite that album and it be as good and as vital and as relevant but it's not going to fucking happen it's not going to happen and thank god it happened once in the context around you
0: matters tremendously as well there, in the 90s going up to the early 2000s rock guitar rock was once again at the very center of pop culture it's been a while since that was the case
1: yeah i just think i think the record labels are guilty of for most of the sins in the music business now why would they want these these difficult dangerous rock and roll bands when they've got Harry Styles. Why would they want that when they've got Ed Sheeran and fucking Sam Smith? And we're living in the era of the fucking solo artist. Do you know what I mean? There are no bands anymore and bands change the world. Solo artists, it's rare that solo artists change the world. I know Elvis did and Bob Dylan, but that's about it. When you think of it, it's it's usually the bands that fucking do it. But the record labels, they've kind of let it slide. And it's all about the music business is not the music business anymore. It's the fucking selling records business. And there's a difference.
0: I would defend Harry and Ed in, first of all, that they are people playing. Actually, both of them from time to time in, in the rock and roll tradition. They're just not bands per se. And I think that is, I think you are on an important point there that there's, it's, it's not just the sounds of rock itself, because you'll hear that in everyone from Olivia Rodrigo to Taylor Swift are actually still do stuff that sounds
1: like rock. But it is the rock band, and that's what you have to okay, wonder. Right, let me my point is this. <laughs> is once you're hiring once you're hiring outside songwriters, you don't mean anything. But I was growing up and then I found out that I I'll tell you, I've never loved the Beach Boys ever. I don't know why. They just they've got about six or seven great tunes. And then I was watching a documentary once and I was like, hang on a minute. Who the fuck's this Van Dyke Parks? <laughs> the fuck's that guy? Oh, he's the lyricist. What? Whoa, 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 whoa! Hang on a minute. So Brian Jones didn't even write the lyrics. Wilson. <laughs> Brian Wilson. Sorry, Brian Wilson didn't even write the lyrics. No. And he's like, "What the fuck? Why is he revered as a great songwriter? Get a fuck." Well, it's like I'm not having that. And uh, Harry Styles and Ed Sheeran and all the rest of them. I'm sorry. Once you employ outside Pete, they're solo artists. How can you be a solo artist if there's someone else writing the fucking songs for you? Well, I mean, ironically, Damon Alburn
0: said the same thing. I know you're cool with him now, but my here would be my counter argument. What if they're starting, basically, they start up little bands, little co writing things with each of these people that they work with? And it's just like having tons of bands that you write with. I'll be in a fucking
1: band then. <laughs> Be in a band. That's it. Like if you're writing songs with a guy, be in a band with that fucking guy. I oh, know that guy. He doesn't like. He doesn't like going out in public. Well, fuck him off then, the <laughs> pussy, and fucking find someone else. I oh, no, he can't. He can't. He's too nervous. He's too shy. Well, fucking kill him then. Speaking of which, do you? What if your your
0: constant attacks on Maddie Hilly from the 1975? What if they contributed to his breakup with Taylor Swift in some way? I'd imagine you'd feel terrible about that.
1: I'm not. I don't. What, is he going out with Taylor Swift? He wasn't until, like, yesterday. Serves him right then, doesn't it? Taylor has obviously said, now look, keep your fucking nose out of that Gallagher business or we're fucking through. (laughs) And he couldn't help it. And Swifty, God bless her, said, "I can't deal with this shit because once he's done with you, he's going to come after me, and I'm not fucking having it." I'm sorry, Matty, you got to go. Have you thought about how
0: long you want to be out on the road? Guys like Paul, they've now, and Bruce, they've they've set this example of seventies, eighties. You never get to stop. If it, Mick Jagger, if you're following that example, you're never going to get to stop.
1: Yeah, I think I'll always write songs. So. I will accept that I will always be a songwriter. Therefore, I will be obliged to make records. Therefore, I will be obliged to perform these things until I can't do it anymore. I guess it'll be an instinct where it's just there'll come a point where I won't enjoy it or or that point may never come. I may enjoy it forever. Or in the case of the Rolling Stones, who the fuck wouldn't want to be in the Rolling Stones forever? (laughs) Come on. Even Charlie Watts, who didn't want to be in the Rolling Stones in the fucking first place wanted to be in the rolling stones forever so i guess i guess i'll do it as long as i as long as i can
0: physically do it i understand you're very sick people are being almost rude and demanding that you reunite your old band but this does which i don't want to be but and i know you're sick of talking about it because it keeps coming up you say that who wouldn't want to be in the rolling stones some people would say who wouldn't want to be in
1: oasis and the answer obviously is you i guess i have look i've accepted now that this is never going to go away and i've I've put it out there that if Liam really wants to do it, he should fucking call me, and he hasn't called me, so I'm I'm just assuming that he doesn't want it. either. I know for a fact he doesn't want it either, but he likes to paint this picture of this little fucking guy who's sitting with his suitcase packed by the door, <laughs> you know, like the little fucking cat from uh, fucking Shrek, the little fucking Spanish cat with these big fucking teary eyes. <laughs> I'm going to do it now for you fans. I love you. It's like, well, fucking call me then. And he hasn't called me, so uh, so, and until he does, it's fucking going nowhere. But I'll say it for the one millionth fucking time, I am very happy doing what I'm doing at my own pace. I know it's not as commercially successful. I don't give a fuck about that. I wrote Wonderwall. I don't fucking care, okay? (laughs) And I wrote Don't Look Back in Anger in the same week, right? So I don't care. That commercial shit doesn't fucking bother me anymore. But if the other fellow wants to keep going on about it, then he should fucking call me. And then once he's called me, we'll take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. After that, there's nothing more to say.
0: The person in question, when I spoke to him a couple of years ago, he's one of the people, and I'm one of them too, who think Be Here Now has taken a bad rap, that it actually has a lot of
1: merits and has some great songs. Where are you currently with that album? Stand By Me has been in a big advert in the UK for about three years now. And once you hear it about a million fucking times a week, (laughs) I've gotten back into that song. But I don't... The songs are... If I could have my time again, I'd probably... I would definitely have made those songs a little bit shorter. and. I was out of control as a guy anyway. I didn't. I wouldn't listen to anyone at the time. I wouldn't listen to anyone about anything because I was the biggest songwriter in the world and fucking, who the fuck are these people to tell me how to write songs, you know what I mean? So I wouldn't... If I had my time again, though, I'd probably give it a bit more of a considered thought. But I do like, do you know what I mean? And um, I've always liked My Big Mouth and... Yeah, it's just a bit. Yeah, I think a lot of the lyrics are fucking dreadful. The cliché narrative is that a lot of that was cocaine. It was. It was. Yeah, a lot of cocaine and, K- and KFC, as I remember correctly. <laughs> it just leads a lot of drinking and eating junk food. So for yeah from 90s 90s all the way through 97 i was a bit overweight but fuck me i had a great time that's the main thing you look good do you have a fitness routine or is it just genetics i'm in between houses at the minute because i'm living out of hotels back in london and i've not had a great couple of years but yeah i ordinarily i'd have a gym in my house and i'd go there every day and symbolically do something but i don't really i think it's i think it's I think it's genetics. I've got to say, I've got to thank my mum for that.
0: Once you're off the road, you got to buy a house and find your new life. Is that, yeah. are you looking forward to that? You might be dating and stuff. Are you ready
1: for all that? I'm not sure about dating. I mean, I'm not sure about that. I mean, the fucking, the women that I meet are absolutely fucking insane. But yeah, yeah I've, yeah, I've got to buy, yeah, I'm getting a new house. And then when this tour is done, which will be sometime in 24, yeah, then I'll, yeah, I'll be back in London and yeah, get into the routine of a new life, which I'm looking forward to, but it's been a, it's been a, it's been a turbulent few years to say the least, but I'm old enough now to know that all things must pass. And eventually things will calm down and I'll be back cruising again. And have you started to map out like the next
0: decade and what, you know, what you (laughs) want to do?
1: I wouldn't say decade, but I definitely, I would definitely like to make, I'm definitely gonna because in the lockdown, I wrote about best part of 40 songs. Wow. So, this album was a cross section of all the different styles that I'd done to that point, which is what I liked about the album. Pretty Boy was a bit like the electronic thing, and then there was the ballady thing, and then there was the 60s thing, and, and then there was like a bit of a jazz thing with Council Skies. So, I picked the best things. Brought me to this place so far, but there is an acoustic album as well, which is very stripped back mm. and which I started recording actually recently before I came away. And, and then there's yeah, there's a very heavily guitar based stadium rock album. Why would you not put that one out first? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. I don't know. I just felt that, I just felt that this was. I mean, I've been proved right anyway in my in this decision because the album's been received amazingly well. And better than any album I've ever had so far. Yeah. So I've been proved right in that respect. But why didn't I go with that? I don't know. I'm not I guess because I didn't really know if Stadium Rock was going to be allowed anymore because <laughs> of COVID and all that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like we didn't I didn't know if there was gonna be a tour or any of that shit. It was just like things have changed drastically but the the rock the guitar album I'm looking forward to recording but I think it's time I did an acoustic album because I've got a lot of songs that are quite harrowing because they're obviously written in the time of a breakup so I want to get that out I want to get that out of the way now and and then do a euphoric guitar record so when you say acoustic how stripped down are we talking about? No it'll be dead in the water kind of thing which I'm not sure I'm going to have to I'm going to have to Think long and hard about it because what my fans and even I will go, oh, it's fucking on an acoustic album. But really, four songs like that in a row, come on, they get fucking boring. They get boring for me to listen to. So I'm going to have to think of something. It'll be an acoustic album with a twist. It definitely will be acoustic. I don't think there'll be any electronic instruments on it. That'll be the rule. Well, no, I won't
0: keep you. You have a show to play. A lot of fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you very much. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening and we will see you next week.